Hi, I'm Billy Shore. This is Add Passion and Stir, our weekly conversation about food, about passion, and about making a difference in the world. We're in New York City today with Flynn McGarry, the chef and owner of Gem Restaurant, which we were just talking about is an 18-seat restaurant that everybody wants to get into. And Flynn says, maybe on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you can. So my wife, Rosemary, and I are already <laughs> scheming to do it. It's great to have you here, Flynn. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Kate McKenzie from City Harvest, who's been um, a leader in anti-hunger work in New York City. And City Harvest, of course, is known nationally for the amazing both food rescue work they do, advocacy work they do. Kate is the Director of Policy and Community Engagement, is that, or do you have a new title? I'm our Senior Director of Programs. Okay, that's even better. Thanks. We're really thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thanks, both of you, for being here. Flynn, I want to start with you. You were just telling me that you started cooking this morning at 7 a.m. We were talking about what we had for breakfast, and I was saying that most chefs only have coffee, and you said, yep, only coffee, but I get to taste some things. Is that typical? You start cooking every morning at 7 a.m.? I have all the other things to do in the day. So it's always nice. I, I like to have that, like everyone else shows up around 10. So I have a few hours just kind of by myself to get things going and get a, kind of everything started for the kitchen right now. Cause there's nothing really growing. Like usually I start my day, I'll prep for a little bit, then go to the farmer's market for a few hours. So the, the day kind of changes in depending on the farmer's market, honestly, like that just dictates sort yep. of what, what I have to do for the day. So what were you tasting this morning? Today, it's salsify. Um, salsify? Yeah. So I was trying to figure out how What's to... What's that mean? It's like what a, is that? Salsify is a, it's a very long root vegetable. Did so, you know this, Kate? Am I the um, only one that didn't know what salsify was? I actually thought it was salsify, and I've only seen it on a poster. I've never eaten it. So salsify. Salsify. Very nice. Some say salsify. Some I've, <laughs> Probably wrong. It's known for being a root vegetable that slightly tastes like oysters. So we're trying out a few things with that and oysters in a way. But so I was doing that for a few hours and then made some bread. So we do a thing right now where it's the same bread twice in the meal. Um, One, we make cinnamon rolls essentially, but one of them, it's savory. So it's dried chanterelle mushrooms and this like French curry powder called vaduvon that has some cinnamon in it, all these different spices. So we're we're recording at lunchtime, which is probably a big mistake because I'm getting very hungry I'm just hear listening my to you talk. Growl yeah, a little bit. I mean, Flynn, so you're are you 19 now? 20 now. You've turned 20. Five. I got out of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. You know, um, people who know your story know that you started cooking when you were 10 or 11, kind of at home in California, a pop up restaurant called Eureka, and then was able to apprentice and learn from some really great restaurant tours and opened up your restaurant gem here, which got, I thought, a fabulous review and from Pete Wells in the New York Times just in a few months ago in uh, August of 2018. One thing I was going to ask you is, like, are you just sick to death of talking about how young you are? Because that's been that's been such a... I mean, has, has, has being young gotten old for you? <laughs> it, I, it's been old since the second it started. Yes. I think it's one of those things where it's just like you... You can't have everything, and, and like I can just say it without even thinking, which may, which I think is why I haven't gotten so kind of mad about it because I I know I have to say it. I know people want to like hear it, especially. I personally don't think about it that often, and so kind of when I, I did an interview this morning and I had to talk about how I started cooking, which I've said I can't You've told even, that story many times. I can't right? even imagine how many times I've said that story. And it's sort of, it's like autopilot at this point. So it's, it's great. There's certain questions that sort of, as I've gone on, kind of like hit a little bit or kind of make you think about something or are always very sort of make you a little bit 
um, introspective or kind of uh, reflect on something. But the the kind of age questions are just sort of they're like sentences that I just know now. Yeah. <laughs> So, Kate, I'll tell you the business that I owned when I was 20 if you tell me the business you owned <laughs> when you were 20. Or were you doing something business else when you were 20? I care of my own business there. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, but you've been at City Harvest for 12 years yeah. now. Is that right? Um, how, did you, how did you end up there? Ooh, it's interesting when I think about the, the path and how I've gotten to be in this role at City Harvest, which I love. And it is managing a team of great people who are working across New York City every day around cooking, around access to food, um, you know, education and policy work, and really you know, getting to inspire and lead this great team of people. And through that, you know, I think about, you know, when I started at City Harvest 12 years ago, I was really in the space of thinking about the the Cooking Matters classes. And it was really around sort of designing programs and overseeing policy and advocacy work, which is really important. The reason why, you know, even before that was working for another sort of similar organization, what attracted me to City Harvest was the commitment, the passion that it had for caring about the kind of food it was distributing and caring about what people really need that, you know, distributing food for the sake of distributing food wasn't enough because we were living, you know, this is you know mid and probably 2007, I think it was. We're really looking at diet-related diseases alongside of hunger and it was important that we really were considering the kind of food that we were feeding people. It mattered. It mattered to their health, and calories were not just calories. So I love the fact that City Harvest continues that, has really doubled down on that desire to make sure that people get the kind of food that they need. And that's what keeps me coming to City Harvest every day. And you had a degree in nutrition? Originally? So, yeah, uh, interesting. I, um, I'm, I'm a dietitian. Um, I went to Cornell as a pre-med student, you know, all these biologies and chemistries and organic chemistries. And my junior year of college, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And so it was one of those real jolting, um, you know, unfortunately for anybody who has to go through that, I think it's jolting. But for me, I had this awareness that I didn't want to treat diseases. I really wanted to prevent disease. The work in college was all about the digestion of food and metabolizing um, vitamin E, for example. And then I made the decision to really try and prevent things. And for me, that started a, a whole sort of entree into thinking about policies and how the policies that our government or our organizations or cities create helps people to ultimately not be sick in the first place or be hungry in the first place. So I, on a whim, applied to literally the night before it was due to Columbia, their graduate program in nutrition. And it was not by design, um, but that program that I was accepted to was all, everything about food before you eat it. Food before the swallow. Food before the <laughs> yeah. Everything before you swallow it. And my mind was blown, you know, to hear about things like the the influences that big corporations can have on advertising for kids in school, or to hear about the kinds of foods that are produced in this country. Um, because of subsidies, things that I just had no idea about, or the fact of, you know, population growth and how, where was food going to come from? So ultimately, I went to work for the city health department. 
And then pages turned and days passed and I found myself working um, to transform New York City's school food, which is uh, was quite an experience thinking about the nation's largest school district in the country and um, serving more than close to a million meals a day. And so trying to do those kinds of massive scale um, reforms and changes is what really excites me. And so through City Harvest, I'm able to continue that work about making big scale change and also making sure that, you know, people have um, food on their tables tonight. And Flynn, as Kate was talking about this pivot point when her dad was diagnosed with cancer, uh, did I read that it was an illness uh, in your case that had you home and uh, originally when you were 10 or 11 and and, uh, with the time to start watching food shows and thinking about food? I would get sick and would not be able to like go to school for a week or two. Um, I think also a lot of that in hindsight was definitely mental of like (laughs) me not wanting to go to school at the time. And I honestly do think a lot of it came from the fact of like, I'm the kind of person and always have been where if I'm not being fully stimulated by something, I just like, my body just cannot do it. And that was sort of one of the, I wouldn't say the the only kind of thing that started, but it was definitely a, a big thing where it was kind of like, I noticed sort of like I would be sick and whatever, not be motivated to do something. And I kind of found this exciting mm. um fascinating world i've always found it especially going like since and working with shower strength and meeting people who think about food in such a different way because i became interested in it as an art form and as like a way to express yourself creatively and i've always thought it was very early on i started working when i was like 13 or 14 suzanne Gowen. yes yeah, she from luck oh, is it lux is that how you yes. pronounce it yeah uh, mm-hmm. she had a thing kind of threw Alice Waters out of a school schoolyard and we went to a place in Boyle Heights in LA. And that was sort of the first time that I saw this sort of difference between like, I was never really raised with a food culture like I found, but we, we'd always have vegetables. We'd always make sure that it was things that were healthy or raised properly. And I think that was sort of the first time even I saw it, like there's such different ways to think about food because it is nutrition and it is like, your fuel to do everything and that's where even i think chefs are disconnected in a way that like you sort of have to be at times but also have to be like i can't do what i do if i only think about it from a nutritional standpoint because a tasting menu you're going to eat once a year is not we're not our claim to fame is not that it's perfectly healthy for you Mm -hmm. yes it is we try our best in a lot of ways where it's barely any meat. It's very kind of vegetable uh, focused. The whole thing is our job is to make people happy. And if after you eat this incredible meal that might make you happy, then you feel terrible after. Yeah, I was um, talking to Kurt Ellis, the um, founder of Food Corps, who was saying that food is kind of a, is like a prism through which is refracted so many other things that we care about. It affects our environment. It affects our health. It affects our ability to learn. It affects our development. So food really, it, it does touch every one of those. You're exactly right. And I think, and what I love about food is, you know, we could pick a food and any person can have a different experience with that food. And it's like the ultimate, whether it's a prism or the convener, you can use it to, you know, I think about a restaurant, you go maybe to have a great meal, but it's to have, you know, a familial moment, right? To, to, To sit at a table with, um, with people and talk and enjoy and, and life. And, 
the culture of food and what's you know the different kinds of foods, how you prepare foods. It's so interesting to to understand people in a in a uh, deep way. That's what attracts me to it. You know, it's it's and it's actually why I. I've never loved, I've never introduced myself by saying that I'm a dietitian. And I don't know if it's because it rhymes with magician or beautician, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, I, I care more about what, like, the before the swallow than what it's doing in the body. Everybody has a relationship with food. And, and I love that it's, a, it, you can go many different ways with that. And Flynn, I love that you kind of recognized your passion so early on. But I guess there are, I guess one of the things I'm curious about, with you, Flynn, was, was were there obstacles you had to overcome to be able to do that? When you look back at your career uh, and you read articles about you, it kind of makes it look easier than it had to have been. Both of my parents are essentially artists. and What kind of artists? My mom's a filmmaker. My dad's a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they... I was lucky enough to be kind of born in this family that understands artistic passion or even just sort of any form of passion that is sort of uncontrollable in a way. I mean, I stopped going to like conventional school at 13 and I did this program. It's called Laurel Springs. It's like an online. uh, Laurel Spring. Yeah. It's like an online program for what they refer to as like professional children. And it's like actors and athletes and people who essentially the whole idea behind it was that you have 12 months out of a year and normal school falls in these, like, you work you're here, and then you have your break here, you have your break here. And this essentially was just saying, you have 12 months to figure it out, take off however much time you want, or you could do the entire program in one month for the year, and then you can not work the rest of it, and you can go do something you're passionate about. And that's pretty much what I did, was I would do huge chunks of it that were, I mean, it, and it was just the basics. I mean, I, I love, when I was 13, I went to go work at Love Madison Park, and I remember talking to Daniel Hume, the chef there, and he was sort of telling me about kind of in when he grew up in Switzerland, his high school, you would go to school for, I think it was like three days a week and learn your basics, and then two days a week you go apprentice somewhere. And I thought that was such an interesting idea because it was sort of like preparing, truly preparing you for like, you find something you're interested in and not kind of right when you finish school being like, oh, I need to find this thing for me. And I kind of went around that and like I found my thing that I love doing. And thankfully, my parents were supportive enough to, to be like, you can do school online and then spend five days a week working in restaurants. I think that's probably the only reason I've gotten as far as I have in such a short amount of time was instead of it being a hobby that I would do on my weekends after school, whatever, for the entire time that you're it was my main focus, and school was the thing that I was doing to because I had to physically do it. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking, like, you know, when I was 13, I'm summoning up my courage to go be an assistant lifeguard somewhere, and you're walking into Eleven Madison, and you're making the case to Daniel Hume that he should take you on. Yeah, I do, mean, do you remember your pitch? I do. I, I met them at a book signing for their cookbook in Los Angeles that no one else was at, and good, good move, good move. <laughs> I didn't. Well, I mean, it, it was very. Very truly Los Angeles, where I was like, this, like, three Michelin star restaurants here, and, like, no one could care less. <laughs> and I had been cooking dishes from their cookbook mm-hmm. and had a few photos and sort of talking to them about the book. And then they're like, oh, we want to see what you've been cooking. And then showed them the dishes, and they were sort of like, oh. It was very just sort of like a casual, like, he was like, if you want to come to dinner, let me know. And then 
uh, I think my mom like butted in and was like, no, he wants to like work there. And then he was <laughs> like, all right, like just like let us know when you want to come. The best sign of a chef is that the kind of cooks who come out of your kitchen are better than you. Mm. Um, and so I think there's always been this sort of culture. Um, well, Kate, uh, Flynn was saying at the beginning that he thinks about food in, uh, in some ways differently, but also in some ways the way you and I think about it, because Flynn's been involved in Share Our Strength and a lot of anti-hunger activities. Uh, we've referenced City Harvest a few times, but we haven't really said what it is and why it is needed yeah. here in New York. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, City Harvest is uh, been around since 1982, but arguably no, um, it's been needed um, in recent times more than ever before. So this year we're going to rescue and distribute 61 million pounds of food that would otherwise go to waste. And that comes from restaurants with whom we have a tremendous relationship with uh, so many, so many chefs and restaurants in the city, farmers markets, all segments of the food industry. Um, and distribute it to hundreds of kitchens and pantries across the city. And we and the team that I oversee work to provide knowledge, skills, capacity for the more than 1.2 million New Yorkers who are food insecure in this city. Um, We've been involved with, it's a clunky word, but it's called the self-sufficiency study. And what that has shown is that nearly half of New Yorkers can't afford basic necessities. And for us, if you're struggling to pay your rent, that likely means your food budget is less. You know, you've been around this for so long, Billy, you know that, you know, hunger and food insecurity are hand in hand with each other. And to make sure that people, you know, in this city know that we don't always have food on our tables and we don't we need to make sure that more teenagers are getting the opportunities like you had Flynn to be passionate about what they love which is cooking food and that is a solution to to food insecurity and making sure that people can you know move up into jobs that are going to enable them to have livelihoods and they can feed their families. Because cooking your own food is one of the healthiest things you it's almost the healthiest way to eat, right? It absolutely is. Not to no. Don't say anything bad about restaurants. No, but, no it is. No. Because we, you know, I stand but, by that. But it is. Yeah. It's really like for particularly for a family that might be have you know stretched resources. Yeah. Uh, that's probably one of the best things they can do for themselves uh, in terms of their physical health, their financial health. You know, I, I mentioned this program that I, I went to and got my graduate degree in at Columbia, and then I actually went back to teach in the same program um, for several years, and it was um, a graduate nutrition class that was requ- a requirement. And it really was provocative for many students because for the first time they were hearing that it's not it's not just about education. For many people, particularly particularly people in this city who are struggling, they are living with not a lot of money, black and brown families. It doesn't matter how smart you are if you don't have food in your neighborhood. And so this this you know yin and yang of yes you need the education but you also need to live in communities where you have access to great food. Well, here's one disconnect for me that maybe you can help address. You're talking about how the need is greater than ever before. This is a disconnect that exists for share our strength as well. Uh, the, the need is profound, but at the same time, we're living in an economy where unemployment has dropped down to 3.8%. Yeah. Millions of more Americans are working. They're saying that wages have started to increase even for the uh, those on the kind of the lowest mm-hmm. end of the 
of the latter. Is that not making a difference in a way that helps the families you um, serve? That's a, that is a great point. And I, I, actually, I honestly well, don't understand no, it. I'm yeah, struggling I mean, with so it. So here's an example. If you were to look at a headline, you're right. The unemployment levels are the lowest they've ever been. However, if you look at that, you know, it's a New York City statistic, and then you look at that in neighborhoods, um, it could be in lower Manhattan. You know, it could be in the Lower East Side where your restaurant is. It could be in Brownsville. It could be in Bed-Stuy. The, the movement there is not quite a, as far. And remember that, you know, we're looking at New York City with, you know, eight and a half million people. It's not the tide is not rising all boats. It's rising some boats and the boats that are rising are rising a lot. But there's still so many people, leaving who are, a lot of people behind who are not seeing that mobility, not seeing those wage increases. And that's a real struggle. Flint, you're also we mentioned involved with Share Our Strength. Uh, how do you, as a uh, somebody who's got a relatively new business, right, Gems, how old now? It'll be a year and two weeks. So a year and two weeks. Um, how do you sort out what kind of philanthropic or community work you're also going to do? And how do you balance that? How do you make it all work? It's a big thing we talk about a lot at the restaurant. I mean, I think it's a very tricky thing to navigate to because there is a huge part of it, I think, that comes with being very self-aware at, at kind of what kind of restaurant we are, where it's like I, I've always never really liked when these restaurants that are tasting menus and very expensive and essentially serving a very kind of specific group of people and think about food in a different way aren't very honest about that. And like we are honest about that. It's like we understand. That's why I wanted to be very small. It's such a disconnect from just cooking dinner for yourself. Um you know what I think is so cool right now, and I'm, I'm, it sounds like you're definitely experiencing it too, is this, you know, celebrityness that's coming with being a chef yeah. and having a name. And what I think Share Strength has done so well and City Harvest is doing well is providing an opportunity for chefs just like you to use that platform and to use that voice to draw attention to any number of issues, you know. It can be it can be food insecurity and hunger. It can be food waste, you know, to connect their their opportunity of what they're, you know, the people that they're bringing together, the platform of making tremendously delicious food and also connecting that to the bigger narratives yeah. that, um, that are around us. Yeah, I think it really goes hand in hand. It's like, OK, the, we're going to do the, the restaurant, but kind of in tandem, we need to give back in mm -hmm. a way mm -hmm. um, and understand our position and, and use that to benefit those who might not even go to the restaurant or kind of try to be bigger than just the space that we're confined in and working with all of our food is sourced locally. And that's a huge, like a, a thing I didn't realize until I started working close with farmers is the people who grow your food mm -hmm. sometimes like can't make enough money to, to eat it right. and they have right. to give it all away. And I mean, that's something I've believed for a very long time of like paying these people more. And yeah, this ingredient is, you could probably get the same quality for a little bit cheaper somewhere else, but you know that this money is going to these people and to support the, the, their community outside of kind of the major cities too. Because I mean, we're working with people all throughout kind of the tri state area. I mean, on a very small level with us, of like, we serve. 20 something to 30 people a night. Um, and that's where kind of those things are done in our own way to be like, we are trying to be the most sustainable way that we can be. And then using the, the larger platform that we have as a restaurant 
to er, and and me personally to kind of reach out about kind of issues that are food insecurity and I think a big thing that I've been seeing there's a, a documentary uh, came out about me this past year um, and there's a bunch of screenings we just did one a what's few, it called it's called Chef Flynn Chef Flynn I think it'll be on iTunes in a few weeks oh good and they just did a screening at a at a high school in Indio California we were at a film festival and then drove for like 40 minutes outside and showed up and it was it was really fascinating of this sort of like it was in a very sort of slightly kind of poorer neighborhood and yeah. people getting excited about food I think is such a special thing and especially young people because I think there there is something about years and years and years of of food not or chefs or whatever not being such a, a focal thing and not being thought of in a creative way or whatever and I've always kind of went with this of talking to these people about how like I think a, an important thing for cooking your, for yourself being such an important thing to know how to do and an important skill that I I know so many people in their 20s and 30s who don't know how to make their, their themselves dinner. Right. Like you can make a, a vegetable taste delicious through like learning how to cook it and it can cost you. I mean, one of the signature dishes on the restaurant is a beet and we just take the time to cook the beet properly and it's delicious because they can be delicious but it needs to you need to be able to be excited about it i think it's safe to say i have never had what you would call a properly cooked beet because i'm i'm not loving beets yet but maybe when i come to gem Look, you I mean, can change that for me we've changed I'm, a lot I'm, of I'm people's opinions you. on that i'm trusting you i just have not had a properly cooked one <laughs> it takes some creativity um flynn with a with a restaurant that has uh maybe 18 seats and serves you know does two turns maybe serves 30 40 folks a night uh how do the economics of that work they're interesting um <laughs> it's a it's a very fine balance. I mean, I think right now where the restaurant industry as a whole is in a very kind of interesting influx where I don't think the public, the general public understands how expensive it is to operate a business, especially in New York City. Um, and I still feel like every restaurant on the planet is charging too little. Um, and you never want to be like out kind of priced yourself. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to be small, where I was like, we can pay everyone. I mean, we just had all the the wage increases, and it didn't even affect us because we'd already been paying people what we wanted to pay them. Um, and that's always been really important to me is being like, if we were had a staff of 40, 50, 60, you have a lot more sort of like it, you can't pay people really what you want to because uh, it it's such it's in influx. Um, Can I chime in on that yeah. a minute? You know, it's really interesting. Most people in this city, they think of City Harvest. They the next thought is a restaurant, and what you're saying is absolutely correct. Because while we may have started um, by rescuing food from restaurants, let's be honest. If you have a lot of food left over, there's something you know, that that's not working. Yeah. And so we've um, been super fortunate to be able to make this leap from rescuing. We still rescue food from restaurants, um, but increasingly we're looking to the chefs and, you know, our tremendous food council to play a different role when it comes to, um, to ending uh, food insecurity in this city. Um, because your job, you are a business. Yeah. And we, I love that chefs, you know, are still thinking about City Harvest and we absolutely will pick up um, appropriate food. But at the end of the day, you, you shouldn't have a lot left over. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I think it's, 
I knew, I mean, it's my first restaurant. No, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. I, I thought it was a bit much to kind of go too big. All of our investors, and I think myself going into it, knows that a fine dining restaurant is never open to make money. Restaurants are designed to make people happy. When you run a restaurant a little bit too much like a business sometimes at this level, it, you start not looking to that. And that's that's our, that's our sense of success, not mm-hmm. a bunch of money in a bank account. Yep. And there's restaurants that do that, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. And like, it's I, just not you. I'm always I tell every investor, I'm like, if you want to make a bunch of money, invest in Shake Shack. If you want to <laughs> like create a space that is special and trying to change things and trying to do give people incredible experiences, that's when you invest in like a restaurant that's small and trying to kind of change things slightly or, or be very creative with it. So when when we think about the impact that food has on people. Kate, when you get past the logistics, yeah. uh, like the remarkable logistics of what City Harvest does, and, and I thought you described it with kind of characteristic modesty, City Harvest is really, I think, the biggest and the best at this of anybody in this country. I've known their work for a long time. We've admired it, tried to support it in small ways. Yeah. Uh, it shares strength. It's really remarkable. But when you think all the way at the other end of that pipeline, What's it look like for a family that's benefiting from it? Yeah, uh, thanks. It, I, it is. It's a massive operation, and increasingly, we are pausing to really consider. You know, it's not just about it's not just about distributing more and more food to people that need it. It's about making sure that that gets into their stomachs and gets into in a way that's appropriate and desirable for them. So, you know, we have there's so many different things happening right now. You know, there's the proverbial and classic line for emergency food. We're trying to end that. We're exploring um, with the creation of an app that's in, um, I would say, a real pilot phase. You can't get it on iTunes yet. Um, But it's something that is going to cut down on the time it takes for people to get food um, that they need. Um, This is something that we know is so important um, to make sure that time is used efficiently and smartly. So that's something, an, an app called Plentiful that we're experimenting with um, that could radically change um, emergency food. For City Harvest, how, how are you going to know when you're successful? Well, I mean, you can look at the walking out of the office and saying, I did good work today. But then there's the bigger success, which for me is, uh, is certainly not something we can do by ourselves, but it's making sure that all New Yorkers are food secure and that we don't need places like City Harvest. We don't need emergency food. We don't need, you know, uh, families don't need food stamps. People don't need these resources that fortunately are available because everyone can be food secure. What we need most is community residents telling us what they need. Um, you know, making sure that I am not forecasting and predicting what those needs are, but really inspiring local grassroots activism um, and creating, maybe it's a meeting, but making sure that we can have a meal at that meeting to make sure that people, making it as accessible as possible to be active in your community. I think the thing that's hardest for me, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, personally, I, I, I experienced this, is you know, the devices, the internet, the everything that, that is getting people away from talking to each other, there's an apathy that comes with that. And how particularly for young people, we can ensure that activism and engagement in your community is a way of life, mm-hmm. um, will enable us to be food secure in the future. And speaking of that, how many volunteers do you have at oh my City gosh. Harvest? Just uh, ballpark number. Um, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of volunteers. And people can go to cityharvest.org cityharvest and to, to learn how to do that. To learn about City Harvest, to learn how to volunteer, and to um, get involved in, in food work. Awesome. Um, last question. Since you're both foodies and we have a lot of foodies, kind of so-called foodies who listen uh, to this show, um, if uh, this is a hard question. Um, Kate, if we couldn't get into Jim, um, is there a go-to restaurant uh, or kind of a well, – I always – when I ask this question, usually I ask, is there a hidden gem in the community? I always ask this of chefs and restaurateurs that you think we should know about. You can't use your own, of course, because <laughs> we've already talked about that. Uh, but what should people know about uh, in the New York area that maybe just doesn't get the attention or the credit it deserves but would be a, a really fun experience? So I'm just going to start by saying this is like my worst nightmare, whether it's a song name, a movie name, or a restaurant name. Oh, I can I never know. remember the last book I, I read. I, I read five you. books a week, and I can never remember. So um, go ahead. I, um, I live in Brooklyn, okay. and uh, this restaurant that I could probably give you the address, but if I can remember the name, it's on Clinton Street, and it's this lovely um, uh, couple that had just opened up their second restaurant that's a fish-forward restaurant. Uh, um, hmm. Lavara, get there. Get there. Um, Spanish, heavy on the fish, heavier on the vegetables. Overall, fabulous dining experience. Fantastic. How about you, Flynn? I, I mean, I very rarely eat out at this point. Um, <laughs> I live in Chinatown, the restaurants in Chinatown. Um, I think there is something still just so incredible about New York City Chinatown. Yep. Uh, where... Every day I walk down the street, there's a new restaurant I never knew about. Um, I, def I definitely frequent the same few spots. There's this place, um, Lanzao. Lanzao? Lanzao. It's on Bowery. It's all hand-pulled noodles and dumplings. Mm. And it's like eight dumplings for $3. And they're just like the most oh. delicious things you've ever had. Um, and I so, I mean, I find it incredible where it's like, it's this crazy neighborhood just smack in the middle of Manhattan that... Like, you can walk down a little alley, and there's people making dumplings on the street, and it just feels like you're being transported to a different world. Um, and that was, I, like, before the restaurant opened, I just spent months just sort of, like, exploring it, because that's like, the, the, in our neighborhood, and it's such a special place in the city. Sounds incredible. Thank you both so much for being on Add Passion and Stir, and congrats on just the success you're having, the amazing, literally life-saving work that City Harvest does. I can't say enough about it. I hope people will go to cityharvest.org and find out how they can donate, how they can volunteer. This changes the lives of so many people, and it sets a really important example for so many other organizations around the country. Share Our Strength works with maybe four or 500 uh, nonprofits that are doing anti-hunger work, and so many of them look up to and look at City Harvest to learn Thank how they you. can do what they're doing better. So congrats. Uh, and Flynn, needless to say, the success of GEM, such a short time. Uh, you've obviously got an incredible future in front of you. I hope this is you know, one of several conversations we'll end up having. Um, but the next time you see me, it'll be with my wife, Rosemary, at your yes. restaurant, and we can't wait. So you guys. thanks for being here. <laughs> Um, I'm Billy Shore. This is Ad Passion and Stir. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll go to our website uh, at Ad Passion and Stir and find uh, other episodes that you can listen to, that you'll rate us, that you'll rank us, that you'll subscribe and tell your friends about the podcast. Uh, thanks to our producer, uh, Woody, who's in Washington today, Paul Woodle, to my sister, Debbie Shore, who often does Ad Passion and Stir with me, and to Kelly Griffin and the entire team at Share Strength that makes this possible. Uh, thanks again. I'm Billy Shore. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. 
Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. 